guests in that way. Um, so he's back back home for me, and I'm over here in his home as well. But what a privilege it is to be here and enjoy meeting a number of you folks. It's my first time in your state, and what a beautiful state it is. And as, as Pastor Nathan mentioned, part of it is where the Lord has led a man to start a church in Bellingham, Washington, about an hour north of Seattle. And it's a gospel fellowship church plant there, and it's a challenging area, but he has lived there for many years, and, and that's why he was serving there as an engineer the Lord called him to preach, and so he uh, gave up his job, went back to Bob Jones University, got a seminary degree, and that's really challenging for a man in his late 50s to do. And now in his early 60s, he's planning a church uh, there in Bellingham, Washington, where he's lived for over a decade, about a decade and a half of his life's up there, burdened for the folks, knows the area, loves the people, and wants to take this good news to him. So uh, if you think about that, pray for Cornerstone Baptist Church. It's in Bellingham, Washington, on the north side of the, of the city, if you're familiar with the city. Just want to really reach that area with the gospel of Christ. And so it's good to be out here. And so Pastor Kaminsky said, the next time I get out this way, to let him know. So this was scheduled, so I let him know. And it's worked out well. And so uh, thank you for being here today as well. Sometimes I know when a pastor's gone, people are gone as well. I'm glad that's not true here. I'm glad you're here. And trust the Lord will bless and use this time for his honor and his glory. And he's asked me to preach this message that the Lord has worked in my heart uh, about and, and has encouraged me about and something I desire to teach churches. I have, a, I have a great privilege to work in many churches. I love the local church. If I could, I'd be still pastoring a local church, but it's something about being gone over half the Sundays of the year it really doesn't work out with the most, most church families. It's not like their pastor being gone 30 Sundays of the year preaching somewhere else. Um, so I can't do both at one time. So now my privilege is to work with local churches and encourage them, encourage you where you are, help you to continue doing what God's called you to do in your local area. And just and I want to tell you, God is doing some great things in our country and in our world. Sometimes we look around, we're saying, oh, no, what's happening? Oh, no, what's going on? I'm going to say more about this tonight. I hope you'll be back tonight as I give a presentation on, on the nation of China. And we, we get concerned about that. But God is doing some great things across the world. And it's very encouraging. And what a privilege it was. I, like three weeks ago, I was preaching in Manila, a strong Bible preaching church in Manila, the Philippines there. And just Filipino Christians who love Christ. The, the building was full. and They wanted to hear from God's word. They were excited about serving the Lord. Then my privilege the next Sunday, which is two weeks ago, to be preaching in an um, unregistered church in China. But I don't call it an underground church. We'll say a little more about it tonight because I was on the 23rd floor of a high-rise apartment. But it was an unregistered church in China. And 150 Chinese Christians gathering together to hear God's word preach. Average age being about 30. It's just a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm. And then last week I was in Seoul, Korea. Once again preaching. Just I was My wife and I just got off an Asia trip. That's so why my wife's not here. I, I run a ragged sometimes. So sometimes you just have to stay home and rest. And uh, so she's staying home and resting, and kind of. She played the offertory in church this morning, but she stayed home and rested at least, not traveling with me. And uh, so uh, just the Lord is doing some exciting things through his church. This is his plan for this time. We are privileged to live in this certain time, which his emphasis is not on the nation of Israel, but his, na- his emphasis right now is on the local church. And I hope you see the privilege of what God has, is doing and what God has done and what God continues to want to do through you and through Westside Baptist Church through his glory. So let me inter- invite you to turn your Bibles to our text this, mor- this morning. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll spend most of our time here. We'll look at a few other verses, but for time's sake, we're really going to stay kind of honed in and focused on this one chapter as the Lord through the Apostle Paul, teaches us that we are the church. So let's ask the Lord to bless this time of the preaching of his word. So, Father, use this time to bring glory and honor to yourself. May your word be understood and obeyed. Help us, Lord, to be hearers of the word, but also doers. Help us, Lord, and help us, the Westside Baptist Church, to grow in Christ this day as a church family, we ask. So bless our time. Be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible teaches a lot about the local church. Something God had kind of hidden as a mystery 
but had been plain in his mind since the foundation of the world, but revealed in these latter times, the Apostle Paul calls it in Ephesians, at these latter times, the times in which we live, to the world, the local church, the body of Christ, with Christ as the head, and we being able to make up the body like a human body, the, the members, the parts of the human body of the church. He, this is God's plan. Now, this is not something you're born into by, in fact, your parents taking to church. It's not something, the church is not something you're baptized into. The Bible does not teach that as well, though baptism is a very important part of the Christian walk. The, the way you enter into the church is not through coming forward in, a, in an invitation saying, I want to join this church. The way you become part of the church is by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. He's the head of the church. Uh, and we make up the body. And, the, and we're not looking at this for time's sake, but 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 8 teaches that at that time when God convicts us of our sin and we trust Jesus Christ, our Savior, His Spirit takes us from where we are, regenerates us, and puts us within the body of Christ. Westside Baptist Church represents a local body of Christ. Pastor Kaminsky is not the head. He's your shepherd. He's the pastor. Christ is the head. And what a privilege it is. I know your pastor understands that. And, and I'm thankful how the church is growing. It's exciting to see what the Lord's doing here after all these many years of faithful work and you, you folks joining in. And, but he still understands that Christ is the head. And what a privilege it is to serve in the church, uh, as, as I have as well, and I continue to do to this day. But Christ is the head. And if you're part of this church, I hope you're also part of the body of Christ. I hope there's been a time in which you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And in that time in which the Holy Spirit took you and redeemed you and forgave you your sins and regenerated you and put you within the body of Christ. And then thus you should become a part of a local body like Westside Baptist Church and serve Christ here. So with that idea of what the church is, we understand that God talks a lot about the church and the church is the body of Christ. The church is not a building, though I'm thankful for buildings. This building today is keeping us dry. Aren't you glad about that? This building today is, is you know, is, is comfortable, and I understand. I have not seen yet your new building, but I'm looking forward to it. I myself had the privilege to build two buildings uh, as a church planner and pastor, so I'm looking forward to seeing that building. But that's only a building. The church will gather together to worship the Lord as a body of believers, to hear God's word preached, to minister to others. But then when everyone leaves the church building, just the buildings left, the church will go out into the community because we are the church. We who know Christ our Savior are the church. We are the body of Christ. But as we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, who invested 18 months of his public ministry, wrote back to one of his one of the, his favorite churches in a sense. He spent 18 months of his life here, 18 months of his public ministry here. And he loves these people. And this is a gifted church, a church in a very important area. It was a, in, comparable on the, on the West Coast. I guess it would be like a Seattle or a San Francisco or a Los Angeles city. Corinth was a place where people were coming and going from all over the world. Uh, opportunity to reach people with the gospel. And people would come, hear the gospel, get saved, and then go back home with this gospel. And this was going on over and over again. God blessed his church with very special gifts of his spirit that we see recorded later in the book. And so this is a very important church and one that Paul loved and invested his time in, but also was a church that had problems. And by the way, wherever you have people, you have problems. This is probably not news to any of you. And uh, so very true, but I'm thankful God has the answer to our problems and his word. So where are there problems? Where are there people there are problems? So Paul was dealing with some of that. Look at the little introduction here, verses 1 through 5, where Paul says, And I, brethren, he's talking to the Christians. He's talking to those of us who have already trusted Christ as our Savior. Once again, if you have not done that, this message is not really directed towards you, though we encourage and invite you to trust Christ today. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal or fleshly even as, in, as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. Verse 3, For ye are yet carnal or fleshly, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal, fleshly, 
Verse 5, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. And so here the Apostle Paul begins with saying, you know, there's, there's problems. I'm hearing these problems and it's disappointing. And you're not living a spiritual and God's able to bless you like he wants to because you're living fleshly. And you know, some of this fleshliness is shown in envy and strife and divisions. And even saying who your favorite preacher is. Oh, some of you like Apollos, some of you like me. You know, it's not a big deal. The big deal is we're all ministers of Christ. Follow Christ. Live for Christ. Be spiritual. He's encouraging in these ways. And he's, he's reminding us that just the importance that we are the church. And he wants us, as part of the church, he wants us to realize that we are a gathering of believers here in this certain locality. That Christ wants us to grow. He wants us to realize there are problems. And he wants us to realize that it takes work to have a God-honoring church. It just doesn't happen naturally. If it happened naturally, every church would be that way. But as you, most of us know, the average church in America is not a godly church. Sadly, in many parts of America, the average church in America is not even preaching the gospel this morning. Be thankful for Westside Baptist Church and your pastor who continues to hold the truth and proclaim the truth of the gospel. But it takes work. It doesn't come, it doesn't come naturally. Naturally, it goes toward disaster and problems. When we do things spiritually, it's how God can bless. God, you know, God wants us to work as a church unit led by your, your leadership to intentionally work all this together as believers here of, Christ, of, of Jesus Christ, to work together to have a God-honoring church. So he talks about this. And so Paul's challenging them and, and rebuking them because they weren't living a God-honoring way. They were, they, were, they were fussing. They were fighting. They were dividing. They were envying. There was strife going on. And Paul's calling them on this. This is not right. It's not honoring Christ. You're just doing what's natural, like you did before you were saved. We need to live not carnal lives, but spiritual lives. And so he's challenging them to, you know, to wake up to this and realize that we are the church. Christ is the head, but we're the body. And Christ intends for us to be part of that body and work together. So in doing that, then he begins and develops with three different analogies to help the church of Corinth and to help Westside Baptist Church and all other churches to realize that God wants us to honor him and live for him. And he gives three analogies to help us understand this better in the balance of the next, the next uh, about 12 verses. He gives three analogies, three word pictures to help us understand that together. The first one is found in ver- begins in verse uh, 6 through verse 9. He teaches that we are farmers and you are a farmer for God in this world. Look, look at verses 6 through 9 with me. First analogy. Paul says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So that neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, Ye are God's husbandry. You're his field. You're you're farmers for him. You work in his fields for his glory. To begin with, he says, you and I are farmers for God in this world. And he uses that analogy. And and how many of you, any of you grew up on a farm? Okay, any of you farmers now? Okay, so we're we're talking about 10% of the people here know about farming. Hey, I grew up in Washington, D.C. I grew up inside the Beltway. The only thing we grew there was weeds and corruption, and things haven't changed a whole lot since then. So I didn't know a lot about farming either until I got further out, and the Lord let us go back to Virginia, into southeastern Virginia, and, and I could grow things there, and I enjoy growing things. I, as a pastor, I like to see things grow. I like, to see, I like to see seed bring forth fruit. It's just part of my whole spiritual nature, and my, my, I just love doing that because it's what I do as a vocation, as well as what I do in, in, my, uh, in my life. So I enjoy seeing things happen like that. But it takes work to be a farmer. It's hard work. And Paul's talking about that. He says, I'm a farmer for God in this world. I think Paul was alluding back to the parable of the sower. That's in Matthew 13 and a couple other places Jesus talked about that. We're not going to be able to turn back there, but I would encourage you, if you're not familiar with Matthew 13, to look at it. But Jesus gave the parable of the sower. He talks about 
you know, a man who goes out and sows seed and, and how it can fall in different types of soil. And some of the soil can be like hard soil where the paths that people walk between the different fields. Some of the soil could be rocky soil. In other words, a thin layer of soil over rocks or even large parts of rocks. So very little will grow there because there's no depth to the soil. Some would fall among the, the weeds and the briars. And so though the seed would go down and begin to grow, the, the weeds, the briars would take the nourishment from the, from the true plant and would not allow it to really produce. But yet some fell among very good soil. It would bring forth some 40-fold, some 60-fold, some 100 times. Uh, reproduce uh, the seed that was planted there. And so he's, uh, I believe that the, uh, Paul was thinking about the parable of the sower that he had studied and learned about through Jesus himself. And, and so he's referring to this idea of planting and encouraging us to realize that, that, that we have responsibilities. First of all, we need to keep our own, our own hearts tender and receptive to the seed. Keep our own hearts not hardened but not weedy. And not distracted by, as Jesus said, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the fear of persecution. These are all things Jesus mentioned in the parable of the sower there in Matthew 13. But allow our hearts to be open and receptive to the word so that whatever God puts in his hearts, in our hearts through his word grows and reproduces. And this idea that we are farmers as well. And we have that privilege not only to receive the seed, we have the privilege to give out the seed. Jesus says, and that's those same parables, Matthew 13, the seed is the word of God. By the way, 100% pure. No question. 100% pure. I learned that the hard way as a young man trying to receive my yard as I bought, bought a, a house and seed that the contractor put down didn't do too well. So I went out, wanted to build, wanted to grow some little better seed or, or build a little better yard. So I went out and I found a good deal at the, at the box store. Uh, the seed was on sale, so I bought the seed, and I, and I was growing fescue, so we, I planted it in the fall. And in the, in the spring, the seed began to go up, and then before I knew it, more than the seed came up, so did a bunch of weeds. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, I put a lot of time into that. I followed directions. What's going on here? And then I went back and looked at the good deal I received in that bag of seed and realized it was 90% pure seed and 10% inert matter. Inert, I think, is Greek for weeds. I'm not sure what that means, uh, but all I grew it seemed like was weeds that year. And I learned that it's a lot better to get more pure or 100% pure seed. Maybe it was going to cost more, but what it would produce would be a lot better. Well, let me tell you, you don't have to worry about this being any inert matter in here. 100% pure seed that God gives us in His Word, and we have the privilege as believers to sow it, as farmers for God in this world, to sow the seed. And give it out. So realize that. We, we have a privilege of doing that. Let's keep doing that. Let's, let's obey God and allow him to work in this way. And you say, well, you know, I, I've done that in the past. And I've had neighbors say or relatives say, you know, that's good for you. It's not good for me. Or maybe you had someone say, listen, don't talk to me, a co-worker. Don't talk to me about this anymore. And, you know, and we, we said, you know, I'm just not, I'm going to stop doing it. Let me encourage you, Christian. Don't stop. Keep sowing the seed. You're not responsible for their responses. But we are responsible to sow the seed, to give out the word. Gospel tracts, verbal witnesses, we need to give it out. Uh, Booklets, Bibles, give out the word. Quote the scripture, give out the word. Sow the seed, let God bring forth. Yeah, but you don't know this person. No, I don't know that person, but I know how God works. I've seen God use a... The plow of suffering to break up hard soil. Where someone says a year before, I don't want to, I don't believe in God. I don't want to talk about that. Don't talk to me about this religious stuff anymore. And what you don't know throughout the year, God has worked in that person's heart, maybe through suffering, maybe through blessings. But God's worked in that person's heart and has, has broken up that fallow ground, broken up that hard soil, and they're, they're ready to receive the seed. Our responsibility is just sow the seed. Keep being a witness for Christ. Keep working along. You say, well, I'm trying to, but it just gets discouraging sometimes. You know what? Don't get discouraged because you're not seeing fruit, the results. I have to remind myself this as well. Don't get discouraged by it. Look at verse 8. I'm encouraged by verse 8. This is what Jesus, this is what Paul said. Verse 8. Now he that planteth, 
and he that watereth are one. And every man, knows the emphasis on the individual, and every man shall receive his own, his own reward according to his own labor. What is Paul saying? We are all farmers. We're involved in different processes of the, of the farming. It's, but it's not just a person who has the privilege to lead someone to Christ who gets the reward. God knows whether you've been working in someone's, in someone's life. God knows what you've done. In fact, the average person, and I've, I've talked to a lot of Christians in my life as a pastor, hearing people's testimonies, witnessing people, the average person has heard the gospel over and over again before ever trusting Christ. And so you might be the person who talked to them, and they, and they say, I don't want to hear that anymore. But you went and showed the love of Christ by your life, and God allowed things in their lives to plow up that, to plow up that hard soil. God knows that. He's going to reward you. Maybe you sowed the seed and and person received it, but they just they were distracted or they just they, they weren't ready yet. But God saw what you did. Maybe you watered the seed. Maybe you fertilized the seed by talking to the person as well. Maybe God used you to pull up some weeds. You know how you pull up weeds, right? Because weeds have a way of sapping energy away. You, know, you talk to someone about Christ and they say, Well, my church teaches, well, let's talk about what the Bible says. Well, my tradition had always taught, let's talk about what the Bible says. Well, my parents said, let's talk about the Bible. Let's pull up the weeds. Directing people back to the pure seed once again. And letting God work in these ways. And, and then sometimes we have that privilege to be able to talk to someone and they're just, they're ready. They're ready to receive Christ. And we forget sometimes the people, maybe dozens of people before us have gone, worked the field. Before we had, we were able to lead that person to Christ. But the person who leads them to Christ will be rewarded as well as the person who's working the field. All, all of us along the way. We don't think of it that way, but that should encourage us all. That God will reward us for our own labor and our own faithfulness. So be faithful. Because ultimately, as Paul said twice in verse 6 and verse 7, God's the one that gives the increase. It's not us. It's Him. It's His seed. It's the hearts He's working on. We're just privileged to be part of that whole process. He's going to reward us for being faithful. So we are farmers for God in this world. You are farmers for God in this community. You are a farmer for God through this church ministry. I encourage you, be faithful. Be faithful. Don't get discouraged. Don't let the the evil one discourage you. Don't let your flesh discourage you. Don't let carnality get in the way. Be faithful. Keep giving out the word. Pick up some gospel tracts when you leave today. Pray for that neighbor, that co-worker, or that friend. Look for opportunities this week to share the, the gospel. Continue to do it. Continue to do what God calls us to do and be faithful because God rewards faithfulness. Because I'm a farmer for God in this world and so are you if you know Christ your Savior. And what a privilege. And he blesses and brings forth a harvest based on faithfulness. Let's be faithful. And if you haven't been being faithful, I encourage you to join the team. Become part of the team here and be faithful. Give out the word. So this is a hard area of the country. It's hard areas all over the world, my friends. But nothing's too hard for God. God works on hearts in ways we don't even realize. Unless we really go back and think about how God's worked in our hearts. For some, God used that proverbial four by four. Knocked us over the head. Got our attention. For others, God used special get, special blessings in our lives. Special people in our lives. God works in ways that we don't always understand, but God works. But he wants us to be faithful because you and I are farmers for God in this world. Can you say that with me, that first saying there? I am a farmer for God in this world. Say that with me. I am a farmer for God in this world. Yes, you are. If you know Christ your Savior, you've received the seed. You've trusted Christ your Savior. Now you have seed to give the precious word of God. I am a farmer for God in this world. Let's be faithful. Then he moves on to a second analogy, and that's in verses 9 through 15. I am a builder for God in this ministry. I'm a builder for God in this ministry. Let's read it together, verses 9. We started the first part of verse 9, and then he changes the analogy from being a farmer to being a builder, where it says, verse 9, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, his field, his farm. Ye are God's building. Verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let 
notice when the emphasis wants to get on the individuals here. But let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Verse 14. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So a second analogy God gives us here, or Paul gives us here, is that I am a builder for God in this ministry. And I'm not, I'm not only a farmer for God in this world, but I'm a builder for God in this ministry. Say that with me, please, that second statement. I am a builder for God in this ministry. And what a privilege it is to be part of God's church and to be able to use our talents and our gifts and our abilities to build this ministry. Now, I'm not just talking about building the new building, though that may be part of your gifts and talents, and then God sees that as well, but I'm talking broader than that. I'm not just talking about the building. I'm talking about the entire ministry and be able to be used of God to do this because God wants us to realize that we are God, we are builders for him in this ministry. He uses us. Now, the hardest part, to be honest with you, the hardest part's already been taken care of. I've built, I've built several houses, and I've built several church buildings, and I'm involved in many church projects. And the hardest part, really, to be honest with you, is the unseen part. And that is making sure it's a good, sure, what? Foundation. And Jesus Christ has already taken care of that. He gave his life on the cross to lay the foundation for us and for the church. And then beyond that, the Apostle Paul says, and he's been, a, he's, Paul's been kind of the wise master builder, verse 10. In other words, he's the wise architect. And he's been given the plans in great detail. And by the way, the plans of the church, he's recorded for us by his Holy Spirit, by God's Holy Spirit. We call it the Bible, especially the epistles. We had the plans and the foundation is done. All that's left is for us to build and to go and to build and, and to build the church that God has called us to build and be a part of. What a privilege it is to be a builder for God in this world, to follow his plans he's given us. He's already given us the foundation. His son is laid it by his blood on the cross. Now we can build. We can build. We can build. But he challenges us in verses 12 to 15 on how we build. It's, you know, how we build is very important. And the materials we use is very important. Now he's not talking about literal Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. But he's talking about, in essence, of quality. There's obviously different levels of quality there, right? Between gold and stubble. Two different levels of quality and value and expense that's involved there. He's dealing with quality areas. And that's really a challenge for us, and, and I'm building this ministry, as and be involved in ministry, is the quality of our ministry. In other words, do we do the ministry... Because, well, it's expected of us. Do we do the ministry because, well, that's just what I do? Do we do the ministry because, what would the pastor say if I stopped? Do I do the ministry because no one else will do it? Or do we have a little higher qualities while we do it? You know, I do the ministry because this, this is how God's gifted me. I do this because this is, an op- this is something that God has, has burdened me about and I want to obey. I do this because I have a talent in music, and so I want to use my talents for God. You know, what is the quality by which we do what we do? Outwardly, it may appear to be the same. But inwardly, the quality of our hearts, the attitude of our hearts, the motives of our hearts, only God and you know. And he says when we do it with the right kind of quality, the right kind of motives and attitudes, the fire will burn and will purify it like gold, silver, and precious stones. When melted by the heat of fire, the heat does not destroy gold, silver, and precious stones. It purifies it. It brings out the, the fire, brings out the impurities, brings it to the surface, and allows us to become more pure and, and, and better in that way. Or the fire, when it does wrong motives, wrong attitudes. When the fire touches the wood, hay, and stubble, what happens there? It burns it up. 
There's no reward. There's nothing left. Now, he's not talking about salvation. He makes sure we understand that in verse 15. He's not talking about being saved or not. He's not talking about that at all because that, that's a whole different topic. And, and Christ is the one that saves us from our sins. And he's talking about here the judgment of our works, of our ministry, of using our talents and our gifts, and whether we're using them for him or wasting them for him, whether we're building of this ministry with him or we're just sitting there criticizing the other people's buildings of the ministry. Or we're just doing it because we got to. Or we're doing it out of guilt. Or we're doing it because, well, someone's got to do it. We should check our motives. Why should we do that? Because we want God to reward us. Don't we? We want to be blessed and rewarded for for building this ministry. We want to build something that's going to have eternal value. We want to be used by God and for him to reward us. So he's talking about the quality of our labors. He's talking about the quality of our giving. I mean, why do we give towards special projects? Well, they just have a need. So someone's got to give. Or is it, you know, Lord, I can, you bless me. I can use some of my resources to help this area of missions or to help in the building project. I mean, we, we check our motives. It's good to do that. Now, I'm not talking about checking your neighbor's motives or your spouse's motives. I'm talking about checking your own motives, okay? Because we're not very good at checking other people's motives. And we really aren't very good at checking our own. But we really should evaluate our own motives because we want to build with quality. We want God to be able to build and bless us in that way. And he's really talking about individual responsibility. And he's calling us here to just emphasize quality. Don't do it half-hearted. Don't do it well. You know, I got you know I got to do this ministry tomorrow in church because no one else is going to teach that class or no one else is going to do that or do this. And then we just kind of half-hearted prepared. Well, you know what? That's the, the only, only value we're going to get out of that, only reward we're going to get out of that is just finally getting through it and surviving it. I want more than just surviving a ministry. I want God to bless my ministry. I want God to reward my ministry. I want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Don't you? So I'm a builder for God in this ministry. And what a privilege it is to be saved and be able to build for God and be used by God the talents and the abilities he gives us. He said, but I don't like my, you may say, I don't like my talent. I don't like my ability. I want to do what he does. Now, just be faithful in what God's given you. That's where you'll find true fulfillment. And sometimes as people are faithful, God adds and gives other opportunities to us that we never imagined. But I'm a builder for God in this ministry. I'm a farmer for God in this world. What a privilege it is to serve God in this way. So here's two analogies so far. Why don't you repeat number one with me again? I am a farmer for God in this world. And number two, I am a builder for God in this ministry. But he gives one more analogy before he concludes this, because Paul's trying to remind us that we are the church, not the pastor, not the building, and not denomination, and that we're independents, we are the church. We who know Christ are saved. We make up the church. So thirdly, I am a temple of God in this life. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me. The Apostle Paul asks this question, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man, now he's talking about the individual again, notice all this emphasis is on, it's not just a group corporate thing, it's an individual thing as well. Verse 17, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So here the Apostle Paul brings this new idea in that maybe the Corinthians did not really think about before, though I think he alluded to this, and they understood what temples were, and, and at the time of the writing of this, around 50 A.D., the temple of Jerusalem was still standing. Here it's temple, but still there uh, in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, had not yet been destroyed by the Romans. That was another 20-plus years ago uh, from there. And so here he's writing to the, the Corinthians. They knew about the temple that was in Jerusalem. But they also, these Christians already had been taught, as Paul would teach them, and was there 18 months, he taught them about the Old Testament too. In fact, he alludes to that later in this book, where the Old Testament's for our examples, and he gave examples in chapter 10, for instance, about the Old Testament. So they understood that. And so they understood the temple 
They understood the tabernacle. They understood the, 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 what was involved there. They had heard Paul teach about you know, the tabernacle, like the temple, uh, has different courtyards outside of it, but then there's this one main structure, the temple proper, and within the temple proper building there, and the tabernacle had it in the temple, there were two different parts of that. One was in a larger room in which the, the priests would go in and make these sacrifices uh, for the people, and they would do that every day, going in and out of there, and that's where they would do their work. But then the back part of the building was a smaller room that had a curtain or a veil that divided from the bigger room in the front, and, and that one room was the Ark of the Covenant. And ever special instruments. And the Ark of Covenant represented the presence of God. And one man named the high priest, one day out of the year, the Day of Atonement, could enter into into that one room and, and worship God and lead uh, or represent Israel before God in that way. <coughs> and so he, he's, 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 he spelled all this out to them. He told them about that. And, and perhaps he told them as well that when Christ died on the cross and he said, Paid in full and proclaimed that, that a lot of supernatural events took place, including that curtain being torn in half from top to bottom, representing that we now who know Christ can enter in God's presence through Christ directly. And not just one person one day out of the year, but every day we're allowed to come confidently and boldly into the throne of grace and find help in need in our time of need. And so, you know, they're teaching all this this aspect to them. And Paul's bringing out this interesting aspect here. He says, don't you know this? That you don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship God. But because Christ has now made the way and torn the veil and, uh, you know, in half from top to bottom, we can enter God's presence. Says, now he says, I have a new reality yet to understand. Don't you understand this? He's asking in verse 16. You are the temple of God. Now, what was he saying? You are the temple of God. And by the way, the Greek word here he used is the word, it does not refer to the whole building. The Greek word here he used is not referring to that large front part, but the word he used here that Paul has translated in our English temple is to refer to the back part, which is what's called the Holy of Holies. And Paul is saying here literally in verse 16, don't you know, Christians, you are the Holy of Holies of God. Now, what was the Holy of Holies? That's that little room where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the presence of God was represented to Israel. And so what he's saying to us, to you and me today, my friends, is that now, after what Christ did on the cross and saving us, now we represent the presence of God in this world. You represent God's presence to this world as we go about. That's heavy, and that's exciting. That's heavy. He's telling us that. You who know Christ your Savior, you represent. You are God's presence in this world. People don't have to come to church to worship God. People don't have to come to church to hear about God. People don't have to go to Jerusalem or any other religious place. All people need to do is hear from you about God. You bring God to them. You represent God to them. And what a privilege that is we have. But Paul says with that comes a special emphasis, verse 17. The emphasis is we got to live holy lives. Verse 17, if any man defile, spoil, that's to spoil or to ruin the temple of God, him shall God defile, him shall God ruin. For the, the temple of God, the Holy of Holies, who you are, is holy. And you are that temple. And he's telling us something that really runs contrary to our flesh, in a sense, and really runs contrary to our to the American Christian culture. And that is, when we know Christ our Savior, we should live holy lives. We live in this time, what's, what's preached on many pulpits today in America, and probably other parts of the world too, because it's written by many popular writers, is this. I'm saved so I can live as I please. That's not what the Bible says. A lot of preachers preach that, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, I'm saved so I can live to please Him. And that's two different things. Before we were saved, we couldn't please Him. No man can please God in the flesh. But now when we're saved, we can please our God. We can do what He's created us to do, Revelation 4, verse 11. We can live to please God. 
And we can do that through the Spirit lives within us because now He made us the Holy of Holies. His very presence, His Spirit indwells us. As He said in chapter 6, verse 19, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are above the price. Therefore glorify God with your body and with your spirit, which are God's. Ye and I, you and me, we're the temple of God. We represent God to this world. Not Westside Baptist Church as a building, but Westside Baptist Church as the people. You represent God in this area. You represent God in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood. You take God where you go. So we should live different. We should show the difference God's made in our lives. We're not doing it because of some list of rules we're following, you know, in our church covenant, or that's what we heard preach. We're doing it because we're God's temple. We should be different. We should work different. We should live different. We should talk different. We are the temple of God. And what a privilege it is to be God's temple. But what a calling. And this is what he's trying to emphasize to us, that the church isn't just a building. The church isn't a denomination. The church isn't a movement. The church are the people who know Christ as Savior. We are the church. And what a privilege we are. We have to be a part of his church to be farmers for him in this world. And we got to go give out the seed. Because how will people hear the good news unless we do so? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You say, well, there's, there's plenty of opportunities. But God's called us to be the farmers. He's put us within our fields. He's put us uh, in the field of your neighborhood. He's put you in the field of your workplace. He's put you in, in the field of your family. And, and areas in which maybe others here, and especially not your pastors, will be able to necessarily go in those fields. But you live there. Give out the seed. Be faithful. Sow the seed. Give it out. You say also, God's also made us builders. He's given us gifts and abilities and tools that we can use to build his ministry. Are you using them? Or are they still sitting in your toolbox, in the trunk of your car? Proverbially speaking, of course. Or are they still sitting at home? Or are we using our tools the best we can? Some of you say, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not able to do what I can. I'm, I, I see some of the folks out here who are more mature. I'm not able to do what I was used to, once able to do. Well, I tell you, there's some many great ministries you can have still. The ministry of prayer. That's one of the, one of the sharpest but the most unused tools in the toolbox. The ministry of prayer. And how much is accomplished when we go to God in prayer. And how it's a great need. But you're a builder for God. Let's do it with quality. With quality. So God will be able to reward us. And then I'm a temple for God in this life. I, my life, after trusting Christ as Savior, my life is indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. And I represent God as I walk out of this building. I'm, I'm his child. I have a spirit living within me. And I represent God. And I need to live a holy life because of that. Because people look at me and they're going to observe me. And I don't want ever, people ever to say, as I've heard people say, well, he's a Christian. He lives like that. Boy, you know, as a pastor, you know how many times I've had that come back in my face as I've tried to witness someone. Well, that guy says he's a Christian. Look how he lives. Now, what can you say about that? All I can say is I'm sorry. Not every Christian is obedient to God. Not, only, not every Christian sees the responsibility he has. But if we know Christ our Savior, we are to be holy, different, distinct, live holy lives for his honor and glory. So a God-honoring church requires intentional work. This doesn't happen naturally. This doesn't happen automatically. This is hard work. This is spiritual labor. This is spiritual warfare. It takes work for that. And I'm not just talking about the pastors and the deacons but i'm talking about all the believers doing their part all of us working together because it's a hard work but it's a work god's called to do and a work he promises to reward but it's hard work and we have to work at it together and i guess the next question is and i started to begin with this are you a true believer in jesus christ has there been a time in your life where you remember where you ask christ to forgive your sins and be your savior i'm not asking for a date as more important as I'm asking for an event. Some people, I, just, I can't remember the date when it happened. You know what? Truth is, I can't remember the date either. But I remember the event. And I remember what I was surrounding it. I remember 
what, what I was doing, that God convicted me uh, of my sin. And I remember as a uh, 12 or 13-year-old child, I'm not even sure how old I was, 12 or 13, lying in bed, and as I'm lying there and getting ready to go to sleep, the conviction of God's Spirit was so strong, it was almost like God said to me, and He did not audibly say this to me, but He said, if you, die, if you go to sleep and die, you're going to wake up in hell. That got my attention as a 12-year-old child. And I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I have sinned. I have done wrong. He had already been convicting me about that. And I was putting it off, making a decision for a couple hours. And I got, but before I went to sleep, I trusted Christ my Savior, asked Him to forgive me my sins, and He changed me. He changed me from the inside out. I wasn't involved in some terrible sins in my life. I was only 12 years of age. My parents were good people, and they put a lot of restrictions upon me. But there was a change on my inside where God regenerated my heart and changed my desires and changed my motives. And then I wanted to go to church. Then I wanted to have a relationship with God. Then I wanted to obey my parents, though it still was a struggle. I still wanted to do that. I wanted to read my Bible and on and on it goes because God changed me. I remember that event and what happened. Do you remember a time where Christ changed your heart? If not, my friends, I love you to say you're not part of the church. You could be a member of a church, but you're not part of the church. And I encourage you and invite you to trust Christ today through our invitation. And then by inspiration, God's given us, by God's Spirit, He's given us these three analogies to help us understand after we've been saved and been part, been made part of the church, these three analogies. That I'm a farmer for God in this world. I'm a builder for God in this ministry. And I am the temple of God in this life. How are you doing, church? Are we living up to the, the calling? Are we living up to our responsibilities? If not, let's make some changes. Let's commit ourselves to holiness and rededicate ourselves to live holy lives for God. Let's, 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 let's rededicate ourselves to using the gifts, the time, and the opportunities we have to, re, to build this ministry for His glory. And let's be faithful to go out and sow the seed, even to those who previously said, I don't want to hear that anymore. Keep sowing the seed and let God give the increase. Church, let's do our part. Let's follow our head, Jesus Christ. Let's obey our Savior. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll sing the song of invitation in just a moment, but heads are bowed and eyes closed. Let me just ask this question. See, anyone here today will say, Pastor Mike, or Pastor Pruitt, thank you for that message. And I just say, thank God for that message. But it challenged me in some areas as part of his church where I'm not doing my part as I should. And God's even convicted me in the area of I need to be living a more holy life or an area that I need to just use my gifts and my uh, talents more to build this ministry or I need to be a more faithful witnessing, a witnesser and going out and sowing the seed. So God showed me some area in my life. I just want to let you know that and let the Lord know of my heart's uh, burden. If that's true, if you slip your hand up. Lots of hands. Praise the Lord. Anyone else join these? Lots of hands. Praise the Lord. Anyone will say, Pastor Privet, you said it a couple times. My problem is I don't think I'm part of this church, the church you're talking about. I don't remember an event in my life where I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And that's really my need today is to trust Jesus Christ so I can become part of his church. If that's true, if you slip your hand up, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to... Come down to where you are, but I'll pray for you that you'll have the courage to take the next step. Anyone? Slip your hand up there. Okay, Pastor Nathan, let me turn it over to you. Amen. How we can be a farmer for you and a builder and that we can be part of the temple, be holy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would cleanse today, Lord, that you would give grace, mercy, or that you would change our thinking, that you'd help us to repent, help us to turn to you, Lord, help us to be um, the church, the, the pillar and ground of truth, Lord, to be a light in our community. And, and uh, Lord, I'm so thankful for each individual that's here this morning. So Lord, do work in our heart. We love you now and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you encouraged today? Amen.
Thank you, Brother Privet. We're going to have a closing song today, and I pray that it would be an invitation for you to really just consider what's been said and really be right with the Lord and think about we only have one life to live, okay? And, and how are we living that life? And what matters most? And uh, Jesus matters most in living for him. And he's given us the wonderful um, organism called the church. So God help us. If you would stand to your feet, we're going to sing Living for Jesus, number 363. Sing the first and the last stanzas. Number 